Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hello, and welcome to Babbage on Economist Radio. I'm Kenneth Kukier, a senior editor at The Economist, and this week I'm getting aboard, picking up the pieces, and making a move. Yes, I'm talking about chess. Since the 1950s, man and machine have been competing at chess, and human grandmasters have been beaten by computers. But the recent advances in artificial intelligence pose the question of whether humans will fall to algorithms in other real-life areas, such as science, warfare, and art, or whether AI will enable us to get better ourselves, and that includes chess-playing machines teaching human grandmasters a thing or two. To answer that question, I talked to chess champions and found out what it's like to play against a machine. I basically saw my uncle and father play chess. I don't remember this because I was four years old, but this is what I was told afterwards. And I, apparently I pointed at the board and asked to learn. And they humoured me and taught me the moves. This, for many, is a familiar tale of young love. Those of us who became absolutely mesmerised by the universe of chess. And then a couple of weeks later, I was beating my father and my uncle. And so my dad decided, well, maybe he should take me to the local chess club and see what was going on. And um, I got fell in love with the game straight away, really. However, this particular person is someone who took the game to a level never seen before. I would call him a grandmaster of sorts, but at chess, he's only a master. I'm Demis Asabis, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of DeepMind. Well, I remember very clearly going to the local chess club that was in a, you know, was in a scout hut, actually. And I remember going in there and there was, you know, dozens or scores of kids playing chess. And it was really an interesting, fun environment. And I remember a lot of early chess tournaments, you know, they especially remember the London under eight chess tournament. I was six years old and I won that tournament. And I remember very clearly that was kind of the first big tournament that I'd won. And it was, you know, really interesting, formative experience for me competing but I also really love the game and the kind of the idea of chess and the fact of you know you're continually trying to improve and it was fascinating to me that element of you know the thinking that went into it and the planning and how our minds were doing that. Someone who spends a lot of time thinking about chess is Dominic Lawson. He is the president of the English Chess Federation and an excellent player. He's also a journalist the former editor of The Spectator, and I visited him at home. The chessboard in front of me in your living room is distinctive. It's a round sort of table that's a folding table. It's with ornate legs, and it looks very old, and it looks very special. 
There's a story behind this. This was bought for me by my mother, which must have been, I think, in the early 1970s. And I think she got it in Bath, where there were probably still are quite a few antique shops. Um, I think the pieces I must have bought separately, and they are also old, but the pieces are not antique. It looks like you've had a, a lot of interesting games in front of it. Who's been here that you've played? Well, I don't want to embarrass them, but various grandmasters and um, one or two people from government who I've tried to lure into appreciating chess. And, and this sounds really sad and marks me out as maybe a, a normal chess player, is probably my most frequent opponent has been myself, because often one just starts playing both sides. Just uh, Some people listen to music, some people read poetry, but those of us who love chess often just have to play, and if there's no one around, then we, we play ourselves. I asked him to explain his own history with man versus machine. I have played chess with Murray Campbell, who was the, sort of the main programmer of Deep Blue. Deep Blue was IBM, and it was uh, an enormous, I mean, physically enormous thing, which won, I suppose, the second most famous chess match of all time, the f most famous being Fischer Spassky, but the second most, beating Kasparov. Of course, people forget, this was, what, 21 years ago, people forget that actually it was a second match that Deep Blue had played against Kasparov. Kasparov will always remind people of this, he gets very cross. He said, but I beat it the first time. But, in fact, in, I think, the first game of the first match, which was a year before the one he lost, in that first game, um, my recollection is that Kasparov lost and as he pointed out it's not interesting that he really that he won that match because once the world champion can lose to the computer you know the game's up I was aware of the deep blue project let's call it long before Kasparov and in 1989 I played deep blue down a phone link to uh, Pittsburgh Carnegie Mellon or whatever I think it's where it was and I was interested because it had, that year was the first year he had beaten a grandmaster who was a former world championship challenger called Bent Larson. Admittedly, Bent could lose to anyone. Dominic has not only played against IBM Deep Blue, he was one of the first to play against AlphaZero, DeepMind's latest system. With AlphaZero, I was lucky enough to be among the first group of humans to play AlphaZero, which was last year. AlphaZero is a completely different thing to Deep Blue or anything else that has gone before it. Conceptually Why? completely different. Well, it is a self-learning program. It is given basically the laws of chess, and that's it. It then, with admittedly colossal computing power from Google, the method was that it essentially would bifurcate and play itself, and it would play itself millions of times. And it would work out, essentially, probabilistic assessments based on, in this sort of thing, this happens. And the interesting thing is, of course, that this method is identical to the way that we as humans learn and get better. So machines play more games to become better and better. Google DeepMind first turned the algorithm onto the ancient Chinese board game Go. Demis Hassadis from DeepMind. Initially, we started with Go because Go had not been cracked 
by any traditional AI technique. So, of course, Chess Deep Blue famously beat Kasparov 20 years ago, and they use a specific type of system called an expert system, where you kind of handcraft a whole database, if you like, of rules about chess, and then the system uses those rules to evaluate the positions, and then it uses exhaustive search to kind of make its plans. And that type of approach doesn't work for Go because Go is a very esoteric game. And even the best players in the world can't really tell you explicit rules that they use um, to encapsulate their thinking processes. It's a lot more intuitive in some sense than chess, which is a lot more calculating. And so Go has always been it's sort of resisted the kind of expert system techniques that have worked for chess. So for us, that was a perfect challenge, if you like, for building learning systems that are able to learn for themselves through experience, in this case, playing against versions of themselves millions of times and actually learn through experience a bit like a human does when they learn how to play games and so we attacked go as uh, really the pinnacle of that kind of challenge the everest of you know games and games ai and uh, we found to obviously our surprise and the world's surprise that the learning techniques we we're working on with reinforcement learning uh, these kinds of techniques learning by trial and error and learning from your own mistakes really uh, created this this amazing program AlphaGo. And then from there, we uh, tried to develop it as more general. So once we beat the world champion at Go, um, then we wanted to see uh, how we could broaden these systems out. So with the first version of AlphaGo, uh, we needed to bootstrap its knowledge by having it mimic, if you like, what um, uh, relatively strong amateurs that were, were doing when they played Go. So what we did to initially start kickstart the whole process off was we downloaded uh, a few hundred thousand games from internet Go servers that are freely available. And these are not professional players, so but they're strong amateurs. And the first version of AlphaGo, all it did was we gave it positions from those games and we said, try and predict what the human player did. Right. And eventually got reasonably good at that. Maybe it was 55% um, accurate, something like this. So it wasn't perfect, but it was way above chance. And that was enough to get the system to start playing something reasonably sensible. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, playing random moves. Um, and then we then built this self-improvement system on top of that. So then at that stage, we took that kind of embryonic version of AlphaGo and then it played against itself and it got really, really strong and eventually got to world championship level. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. So now this is all very abstract. How does it actually feel to play against an algorithm? Dominic Lawson recounts. Very strange. First of all, because... Because its style is in some, I can't define it easily, in some way human, it's hard to think that you're playing a computer. 
you know, if you're playing a conventional computer, it has a colossal book. The book is all known theory, basically just dumped into it by the programmers. It has no book. So basically, it, everything was all cranking up. It was waking up, cranking up. And then it thought for about two minutes. And then it played 1E5. But this took us all completely by surprise. And its play was, and I, it's a very strange thing, but in, indefinably human. Of course, we knew it wasn't. But it had an aesthetic. It had a kind of human aesthetic. And one of the things that when you see the games played between computers, ordinary authors' computers, that I can't quite explain it, but there's no aesthetic. You somehow feel it is like a machine. Uh, Alpha Zero has an extraordinary grasp of the potential of attack. And in many of its games, it would sacrifice a pawn, and then another pawn, and another pawn. And a conventional computer would just say, hold on a minute, we're losing material here, what the hell's this? And it wins games in a most, I would say, magical, imaginative style. The very interesting thing is that the current world champion, Magnus Carlsen, has been studying it. And in his recent tournaments, he has moved to a new level. And in a number of games, he has made what you might describe as speculative sacrifices, which he was not doing hitherto in his career. And he has openly acknowledged the fact that he has been profoundly influenced by the games of Alpha Zero. Where AlphaGo learned largely from past games between human players, Alpha Zero taught itself. As a result, it developed its own distinct way of playing outside of human biases. And as Dominic Lawson says, it is a style that world champions are drawing inspiration from to improve their own game. Matthew Sadler and Natasha Regan studied over 2,000 games of AlphaZero, and they decrypted the algorithm's unique gameplay style in a new book called Game Changer. As kids, they were chess prodigies, spending every waking hour playing with the likes of Demis and others. Today, Matthew is a grandmaster and Natasha is a master. AlphaZero's got a very interesting style and an attacking style. So it was really nice to see its games for the first time. He likes to sacrifice its material and play in a way that hasn't been seen since the masters of old in that it's um, not afraid of giving up material, not afraid of launching an attack. Um, and so it builds up the attack across the whole board and pushes its kingside pawns right towards the opponent's king, restricts the mobility of the opponent's pieces and then builds up slow but very powerful attacks. Now, Matthew... What were you thinking when you first saw these games and its romantic style of play? I was quite amazed. I didn't know what to expect before seeing the games. Uh, I knew that the, something that DeepMind made would be strong, but uh, what sort of style would it have? And um, it was yeah, a little bit like discovering the, uh, the notebooks, the long-forgotten notebooks of some, some great player from the past uh, where you suddenly discover 200 wonderful attacking games that you'd never seen before. I just spent, you know, probably about the first hour or two of playing through the games just laughing to myself, just uh, saying, wow, amazing, you know, how is this possible? It was a wonderful emotional experience. Now, bear in mind, Matthew is a grandmaster who has devoted his life to the game, and he's learned something very fundamentally new about a game that humans have been playing and studying for over a millennium. By studying AI that has developed its own strategy, humans as individuals can learn from it, and improve our own abilities. I 
find I've got some extra tools in my game. So in certain positions, I will think of moves that I hadn't thought of before. So the type of way to approach a position. If I either deliberately or accidentally give away material, it's less of a worry for me. So whereas before I'd be counting up how many pawns I've got and, and getting very worried if I'm a pawn down, then I'm, I'm less focused on that and more looking at the, the sort of plus points and the, the promise of my position and, and how I can build up my position from there. So a lot of these things are known in chess, but uh, but somehow you don't quite believe it. I mean, when you try it with your own pieces, they seem to, to end up stuck on on, the, on one side of the board. And then you look at what Alpha Zero is doing against an unbelievably strong opponent, and you see pieces moving from side to side, all across it. It feels like the board has got bigger, simply, you know. And uh, and that's a, that's a wonderful feeling. I mean, I've, I've had a few moments during my career when I've I've talked to to great players, and they said something amazing, and all of a sudden you think, yes, I understand it. And actually seeing Alpha. Zero's games, it had the same effect. I thought, wow, yes, I understand it. This is actually possible. But it didn't have any grand theory about the game or see any hidden harmony between an opening gambit and the art of war, or a stirring love affair, or Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It just played to win with methodical precision. So what might this say about how AI with total recall memory and hyper-computational reasoning might go beyond chess. I asked Matthew Sadler. If you look at what we can do with AlphaZero in chess, then uh, you start to think about, uh, well, imagine uh, you know, a scientist con- con- confronted with a, a mass of data looking for a promising way to start in that area. And then something like AlphaZero is able to locate paths and give uh, us um, a starting point for to use our imagination and creativity, which we can then use to direct the AI, find me some more paths within that this new area of exploration. But it isn't just fun and games. It's serious business and science. The research has more at stake than uncovering new truths about chess. There are untapped knowledge and discoveries to be made in every field. Medicine is one example. Managing a power grid is another. So is AlphaZero going to use its knowledge elsewhere? I asked Demis Hassabis. So that is the kind of um, grand aim, if you like, of, of all of our work here. So of course we use games as a proving platform and a, and a kind of staging platform to conveniently test out our ideas and our algorithms. But ultimately, what we want to do is apply this to all sorts of very important real-world challenges. And I think we're about to enter an amazing era where we can apply AlphaZero-like algorithms to all sorts of pressing problems and, and find new, intriguing, and creative solutions to a lot of the challenges that face us as a society. Can you give one or two examples of where you like to see it applied? Right now, there are quite a few problems already in, say, science that fit the kind of properties that we look for to apply something like AlphaZero. You need um, a clear kind of objective function that you're going to optimize. So obviously in games, that's quite easy because it's a score or it's winning. But in other areas of science, you know, it could be an energy function. It could be some property of a material that you're trying to optimize, as long as you can quantify that. Then you need kind of 
a simulator or lots of data or both ideally and then finally the nature of the problem needs to be uh, one of a huge combinatorial sort of search process that needs to happen like you know huge combinatorial domain where you need to do an intelligent search through it to find the needle in the haystack and that's really what you can think of alpha zero is doing is it's finding you know the correct move out of the hundreds of possible moves and variations or millions of possible variations what is the right move Going back to some of the examples we are applying it to, we're applying it to problems like protein folding, where it's finding the 3D structure of a protein, governs its function, and there are millions of ways these proteins can fold, you know, and the, the kind of structure they can fold into. But some of them minimize the energy in the system, and those are the ones that nature favors. And so there, you know, that that is the kind of problem I think that is amenable to this kind of process, where you're searching through this myriad of possibilities, different ways you could fold the protein and only one of them is the correct structure and um I think, you know, the systems we've done, and we've been very successful with that last year with AlphaFold, we won a big international competition called CASP13, which is like the sort of Olympics for protein folding. And, you know, I think we've shown there that these systems really can uh, make big progress and discoveries in these sort of scientific domains. AlphaZero was developed by humans, yet taught itself to play chess better than any human. Now, chess players are studying its performance and improving their abilities, becoming even better themselves. This may point to how AI embeds itself in the world, at times replacing us, at times augmenting us, and still at other times showing us new ways to be better at being who we are. As for chess, for centuries, success was seen as the paragon of intelligence. In recent decades, it's been a way to measure progress in artificial intelligence. Today, it forces us to expand our imagination about how we can become more intelligent in all domains because of our algorithmic tools. All the world's a game, and we are merely players. Players that listen to an episode of Babbage. Make your next move to rate us on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not a subscriber, you really should be. So at the end of this podcast, go to economist.com slash radio offer to get 12 issues for $12 or £12. And in the game of life, you'll be able to think 12 moves ahead. I'm Kenneth Couquier, and in London, amid the black and white squares, this is The Economist. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.